What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And Kyle, we uh we're coming up. We're 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 not, it's not summer. The first day of summer hasn't hit. That's always weird to me. It's not till like June 20-something. And it feels like summer is just June, July, and then maybe this is a consequence of academia. It feels like then it's like back to school. But um, you know, these summer months bring a bring around your birthday, man. And it's a big one for you. Big four oh. Indeed, indeed. Man, I'm honestly feeling really good. I'm busy with various things going on in life, but I'm really grateful and I'm feeling good in my body. Things are working. Nothing is aching. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting good sleep. I'm drinking plenty of water. And all in all, just trying my best to approach these transitional moments of life with gratitude and with some imagination about what I'd like to see next. For sure. Now for you, as you think about 40, I know sometimes when I think about uh, my my current age, I turned 37 in April. So when I think about like the number 37, I, I'm kind of, I, I, I take pause a little bit. Be like, damn. <laughs> Reference <laughs> right. the Kevin Hart. <laughs> Don Cheadle exchange. Like, yeah. That would sound like a big number. Goodness. Um, any of that for you as you are you are about to turn into a new decade? Does is there any, you know, anxiety around it? Any anything that feels just like a little like, whoa, this is this is kind of crazy. So <laughs> I will say over the over the past year, I've both met new people or reconnected with folks that I hadn't seen in a while. And folks were frequently taken aback slash shocked <laughs> to find. You know, and I would just casually mention, because if it was germane to the conversation, I would say, yeah, well, you know, so for my 40th birthday, I'm playing at X, Y, and Z. And somebody was like, but 40? <laughs> and uh, I say, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely about to be 40. Um, and, you know, the the frequent refrain that I heard from people was, Oh, you don't look for it, which of course invites the question of what does 40 look like or what is it people think it's supposed to look like? Do they think it's supposed to look old? Do they not want it to look old, but to seem more youthful or timeless? And granted, I'm in the age and stage of life where no one is going to be checking my identification because they think I might be sub 21. We're not there. But where I am is in a space and place that on some level is a function of genetics. I look the way that I look and I've inherited some qualities or features from my parents. But also it's a reflection of a certain measure of intentional care through the things that I eat, through the exercise that I engage, through the water that I'm drinking, through the skincare regimen. And which was one of the things that for much of my young adulthood, and I mean, I wash my face and, you know, moisturize, or to, to be more fair, let's just say, we you know, using whatever lotion was available. Like, let's not even pretend I was really on, a, on an intensive moisturizing regimen, right? But I think about 
practices that I adopted as a way of caring for this one body that I have mm-hmm. and recognizing that you will never be as young as you are right now again. I heard somebody say something the other week that really stuck with me. They said, in 20 years, you're going to wish you could do what you can do now. Hmm. So get busy doing what you can do now. For sure. But at the same time, and, and this, I think, connects with that, that feeling of, oh, 37, that's a big number. I'm thinking about the kinds of anxieties that get attached to the changing, the advancing of our age. And some of the messages, be they positive, negative, or somewhere in between that we receive around the changing of our age, the advancement of our lives. Because my sense is the beauty of aging lies in understanding more clearly what you actually want or what's worth wanting out of this life and recognizing just how much you can actually let go. I think that's hard because of how our our rhetoric, the things we normally say about aging is reflective of maybe an unsettled opinion on the value of aging. So as you were talking about all the things that you you do with your drinking your water and you know getting sleep and washing your face with a special kind of if it if it's me I got my little vitamin C uh facial cleanser and I got my brush. <laughs> yeah. Washcloth has not touched this face in years because I have a special brush with soft bristles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to exfoliate the skin. You know what I'm saying? We talk about all of these things that we do uh, to maintain uh, our body, to take care of, of our vessel, putting it in Black church terms. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. But we we also use a common thing in our community is Black don't crap. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, when my students ask me how old I am and are surprised by the number that I share. Um, You know, I'll say it jokingly, but I think it also reveals a sort of fear about what it means for us to age and what happens. What happens if you, if somebody guesses your age when, when they look at you, what if they, what if they guess a little bit older than you actually are? Cause I see the I see the social media media posts, right? It'll be somebody that'll be like 35 where, 40 where, 50 where. And the question that comes with what is someone who is this age supposed to look like? Because I I I don't think I've ever seen a post that extols the the value of looking exactly how old you are. <laughs> like Man. I've never seen anyone be like, yeah, perfect 44. Like there's there's nothing of that nature, right? Um, and also when people do look a little bit older, I, if we're being completely honest, when people look older than they actually are, we do not have nice things to say about them. We are, yeah. we are not kind. Um, and you know, it's it's nasty business if we're gonna be honest. <laughs> yeah, things like oh, so and so look old in the face. Listen, people. One of my <laughs> old in the face is one. One of my favorite black um, euphemisms is "road hard and put away wet." Ooh, boy, <laughs> <And> boy, <laughs> it's nasty stuff. Used, used in the context. Used in the context, such as such looks road hard and put away wet. Now, it's the for me, the reason why it's so hilarious and why I'm fighting back a laugh even in this moment, it's the imagery. It's the imagery and the lack of care in how you would have to take care of something 
or or how you treat something that you <laughs> ride hard and do not even bother to dry off. So this is a way that I have heard folks described. And as horrible as that sounds and as horrible as it objectively is, this is part of our culture. This is part of what is pretty normal for how we approach thinking about aging. Um, and I think it speaks to part of what motivates us to rest, to keep to the facial regimen, to do the daily work of, you know, for me hopping on the Peloton. I shouldn't be saying the company name because it's not like they sponsoring us or anything. But no. um, it's uh, on your unbranded bike. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you see, there's there's part of that motivation is to maintain some of those aesthetics or perhaps even um, avoid not being looked at favorably in those ways. And so I I wonder what when we when we say there's certainly like a a positive and beautiful interpretation of us just sharing black don't crack. I think that there's something poetically be beautiful about how much we go through and still being able to maintain uh the um, the value or the the achievement of not looking like what you've been through, right? And this is mm -hmm. something that we also say, right? Uh, but I would I would also add to that that it is black don't crack ain't always used in a positive way, and I think it's sometimes a marker that we look to measure ourselves up to, and I don't know that it's always doing good things for us. It occurs to me that black don't crack is a remark upon aesthetics, but all the ways you can crack ain't necessarily external. Mm -hmm. And you can look great and be living hard. This perhaps is the thing that is one of my bigger motivations because getting older, it's inevitable if you plan on staying alive. And I'm cool with that. What I do think about are the sorts of challenges that frequently arise with age. Challenges to our mobility, challenges to mental faculties, challenges to our relational connections because the people we were close to, the people who knew us when are fewer and far between. And in those respects, I can understand the real anxieties around aging. And some of that I believe is reflective of the way that culturally and societally we treat people who are older, people who are aging, people we perceive as no longer having the kind of value or productivity that we think of as being part of a meaningful engagement as a citizen. And this brings me to a place of, of, of recognizing that fundamentally some of these fears too are also tied to the fact that we frequently just don't care for one another well as human beings, period. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of compassion, not a lot of care, not a lot of concern. And in that respect, it's easy to see how people's performance of vitality, performance of youthfulness, performance of value and capability and competency becomes a part of resisting the inevitable uh, being, being sent off into the wilderness, so to speak, right. being put out to pasture. Yep, yep. And so 
I, I can I can understand why people are resistant to and not wanting to be framed or categorized in a certain way. Like they want to still feel like they they still got it. But I also think about the sadness that attends to me when I think about those who have not gotten to a place of comfort, to a place of ease and peace with the transitions that happen as we age. I was telling you uh, before the, the, the story of being in my, in my 20s and there was this young woman I was really feeling at the time and she was getting together with some of her college friends uh, for dinner in New York City. So I hopped on the train and linked up with them for dinner. And afterwards, we ended up going to hang out at this lounge in the city. And so we're here, you know, a bunch of, you know, mid to late 20-somethings out living our lives, you know, it's late, kicking it. And I remember distinctly our sort of group within this lounge. And I saw this man who, by all appearances, and once again, appearances can be deceptive, but perceptibly to me, I thought, okay, he's got to be at least 40 something. And that might be generous. Like he might've been older, could have been pushing 50, I don't know. But I remember feeling this sense of, mm, to some extent, extent secondhand embarrassment, mm -hmm. because he didn't seem to be there with anyone. He's minding his business, enjoying his drink. But I found myself thinking, who, who are his people? Who is he with? He's just out here on a random Friday night surrounded by significantly younger people who are out here with their friends. But now, as I'm in a stage of life where I'm likely closer to the age that man was than I am to the age I was. I, I'm sitting with what it what it means to be navigating the changing social perceptions, yeah. but also dealing with that alongside the strangeness of still feeling like yourself. Like, like if you ask me, do I feel like a man who's about to be 40? I'm like, ah, well, I mean, I feel like me and I'm about to be 40. So I don't know what else to, to compare it to, but I also know that some of the traditional markers of what we think of as transitioning into more adult roles, and, and I use that with air quotes because I don't think these sort of markers make us more or less adult than anyone else, but approaching 40 and not being married, not having kids. Those are things that traditionally people had done well before now, at least my parents certainly did. So, but I also, and I'll throw this piece in there. I mean, I think about the fact that my own father died relatively young. So he's older than me, he was 48, but 48, is different in my mind than 20, you know, than it was at 24, which is the age I was when he died. Right. So now when I look at it through those lenses, I think, well, okay, 40 ain't really old, but mm, you ain't no kid. You've been here long enough to know better and to do better. <laughs> and the real talk is a lot of times, some some of this I think is just kind of social and cultural. We we have a, a our experiences are just not shaped in the same ways as prior generations. So it is more common that people are reaching our age and stage of life and haven't been married, haven't had kids. Mm -hmm. But I also think about the extent to which some folk are actively resisting markers of getting older or getting settled, getting 
grounded in certain kinds of ways. And I'm not saying that you know, long-term relationships and kids, you know, are, are some sort of panacea that, you know, cures us of our youthful indiscretion or uh, pushes us to, you know, get it together, quote unquote. Because plenty of people do both and ain't got it together at all. Word. But all that to say, just the, the question of, well, what's young and what's old certainly is a moving goalpost as we are moving along the stages of our lives. I think it's really clear in our culture that we don't really honor what it means to get older. I think that while even in our family structure, that culturally, I think there's there's probably um, a high esteem that is given to uh, older members of our family, our elders, right? I think oftentimes um, decision-making is taken out of their hands. Um, there's not necessarily a whole lot of cross-generational um, conversation about what it looks like for us to transition our roles and things like that. So I think that when when we when we don't prepare for those things, it does create sort of a vacuum of direction and challenges around an understanding or a common understanding of what roles we're supposed to play. But I think that this is really clearly indicated by us simultaneously not wanting to get old and also not really wanting to die, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that that sort of contradiction puts us in this place where we're not really on solid ground about what we believe about ourselves and how we transition uh, moving forward. Now, I think it's it's also difficult for us to to take our experience and really, I guess, see what's next in a context that's not distinctly capitalist, see what's next in a way that thinks about the fullness of life, because there's so many other kind of cultural and societal challenges that are built around that. I think also as black men, I think there's a particular added challenge around these kind of cross-generational relationships. And I, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not sure how broadly this applies. So I will add that caveat, but it's been my experience that it's difficult for me to cite Kind of cross general excuse me cross generational relationships uh and particularly relationships with black male elders um and by elders i mean men of a certain age not just men that are older than i am um that are offering this kind of vulnerable or vulnerability uh like deep levels of honesty opportunities for deep relationship that actually share wisdom about how to live fully and how to avoid some of the challenges that they face i think this is cre this is it finds its finds its foundation in a lot of the trouble that black men have faced with how our manhood and masculinity is defined popularly, how we're allowed, we've been allowed to live it out and what that has meant for us in terms of facing our traumas, our, our issues, being able to be emotionally aware, being able to unpack what has happened to us over the course of our lives and being able to come to a place of peace with those things. So I've often found that that context around what it means to get older is, is absent. 
And it has left me, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but it has left me with some pretty distinct fears around what it means to get older as a Black man. I have said openly that one of the things I am fearful of is becoming bitter and not being able to leave from a place of love because I haven't dealt with my pain. And so I I think I've taken legitimate steps with that, but I've I've had conversations with folks and I've experienced that when some of the black men in my life get older, there is a particular level of anger and frustration and bitterness that has shown up that seems to dominate their communication and their life experience. Um, and I don't wanna be an elder who doesn't have sweetness to share. I think of it almost in this context of like everything that you have is is poison rather than being honey. Like I when I think about what it was like for me as a young kid with uh with my grandmothers, like there was there was there's sweetness in those memories. And I don't know, I, I did not meet my maternal grandfather. But when my paternal grandfather, there was very little of that. And he was older when I was very young um, and I guess didn't have all of his faculties about him. But even in those moments, he, didn't, he wasn't particularly concerned with me, it didn't feel like. And so I, I, I worry about those things. And so when I think about aging, maintaining my activity and wellness and my faculties are very important to me because I don't want to live in a way that precludes me from being able to be not just this surface level kind of loving such that when you come into my space, you feel like I'm not going to be a jerk, but the kind of loving where I'm willing to continue to be vulnerable and to be honest and to share wisdom and to be caring and to be thoughtful and to bring sweetness into the space that spaces that I occupy. There is a phrase that had gained some traction and popularity on social media, this concept of Black men deserve to grow old. For sure. And I found myself sitting with how that's both a statement about lives that are frequently cut short hmm. in terribly unnatural ways, but also how even those who perhaps outlive the perilous expectations of early death still can find themselves unable to truly live with a depth of joy, uh, with, with moments of happiness. That's good, right? With, I hadn't thought about it in that context. You know, and, and so, so many, man, I believe they they grow old before their time. Yeah. yeah. They, they become weathered and aged and uh, broken down by life in ways that even if their natural lives continue and the, the, the chronological time keeps piling up, it's, it brings me back again to this idea of finding the life in my days. For sure. And how that negotiation of aging, of advancement in, in life has to be coupled with some genuine reflection upon and clarity about really what makes for a good life. Uh, I don't want to just be alive to be alive. I want to be living a good life in all of the ways that that can, can be framed whether we're talking in terms of good health, mentally and physically, good relationships. I, I'm fortunate that I had a really beautiful relationship with, uh, with all of my grandparents, particularly with my maternal grandparents, who, and I've talked about here frequently, uh, they were very instrumental in raising me. 
And so I spent a lot of time around elders as a child, both elders in my, in my own home, uh, the elders who were the friends of my grandparents. I think of, uh, you know, my, my grandfather's, I remember when my grandfather's best friend, uh, I called him Uncle Benny. I remember when he died. And I remember the sort of gap, that sense of loss. Because yeah. at the same time, right, when we talk about this, this aging and the specter of, uh, you know, the finality of death, I both was around elders a lot. Um, I knew that, yeah, getting older and people dying is the thing that happens. Um, but because my granddad was a pastor, I was also at a lot of funerals. And so I had a deep familiarity with the fact that, yo, this stuff doesn't last forever. But there's a, a quote often uh, attributed to the Chinese philosopher Confucius that uh, everyone has two lives. And the second one begins when we recognize we only have one. And I believe I was really fortunate as a child to be tapped into that awareness that this all matters because you only get to do this once. And that's not a thing that needs to fill, fill us with dread, but rather it should fill us with a beautiful urgency, a hopefulness about, yo, what can I do with this one beautiful life that I have? Um, what can I make of this life, even when the things it often gives me aren't always beautiful? And particularly as it relates to, to this intergenerational piece with Black men, it mattered a lot to me that I got to see uh, and had modeled for me an older Black man who still had friends. Um, and, I, and I will admit that some of the aspects of watching my grandparents' age and eventually die were difficult. Difficult for them in ways that I can't fathom, mm -hmm. but also difficult for me as one who had known them in the, the vital and robust years of their lives. Yeah. Um, I think about the things my grandparents would do. They, uh, when, when my grandmother's health was still um, solid, they would you know, they took a cruise every year. And my grandmother, because she was an amazing singer, she used to make uh, these wonderful uh, sort of, you know, the camp collar shirts with the with the bright uh, sort of tropical themes and patterns on them. She would make these for my for my granddad to wear on on the cruises. And I would think about how they were out there living their best life. And by the time I came onto the scene, you know, they're senior citizens. So when I'm conscious of them living this life, they are firmly like senior people yeah. in life. But it was important to be able to see them in that vitality. It was important to, you know, overhear the conversations my granddad would have with his, his friends who were frequently other pastors and ministers like him who were people he had known for decades and to hear the ways that they would laugh and joke uh, or the ways that he would, you know, sternly reprimand or rebuke someone for doing something that was out of pocket. Right. So all of that to say that, man, you know, we, we both need to see people who are living uh, and, and adding life to their days, even in the later stages of life, uh, but we also, and I, I will say this, there's there's something to be said for embracing where you are. At no point in my life did I feel like my grandfather didn't embrace being a grandfather. I remember, <laughs> and this is, this is I, I laugh sometimes at the ways that presently, you know, people differently inhabit these roles and changes as they as they grow older. I was thinking the other day, like, man, I remember when, you know, grandmothers and grandfathers would just be like grandma and papa. 
And now everybody's got nicknames. Everybody's got little. And I was like, this all seems to be related to this desire to still kind of remain hip or youthful. Like, don't call me grandma. Don't call me grandpa. Call me, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I mean, you know, everybody's got these sort of colloquial nicknames and things with their families. But that to me is different from, I mean, feeling like, yo, I feel like people were just... Man, you know, you're an AARP status, like, hey, maybe, and maybe I'll feel, I don't know. I'm not saying I will feel differently when I get there, but I'll also be like, man, you know, I kind of miss when, like, the elders would just be elders. And yeah. everybody would, like, because, man, I don't want to be hip and young like I was, or like I thought I was. <laughs> and I also don't want to be that dude. Man, I'm not trying to be that dude who long. stayed in the club a little too long. Dang. Yeah, because I do remember what, how I used to look at folks that would do that. It was not favorably. Yo, so I think a lot of our, the way that we use Black Don't Crack, the way that we think about aging comes back to how we live our lives. And often our lives are very much focused on survival and trying to make it to the next thing and angling for the come up or the big break or when things are not going to be like this. I think that 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 kind of way of thinking about our lives forces us into this position of not being satisfied, I think is a clear connection there, but also being concerned about what it means to be running out of time. And I I want to, I want to regard that with a level of validity. I don't want to dismiss it because in the context of all the things that are happening in the world around us, the way that the economy is, the way that folks are feeling about their time and the amount of time they got to spend working and the type of bills that they have, like these are real concerns. But I wonder how we go about changing our relationship with our with our aging such that we can be satisfied with with where we are and move from a position of just kind of surviving until we get to the point where everything is gonna be the way we want it to be to actually live in that second life that you talked about in that quote, one where you realize like you got this one and you ought to be living it. And that's even recognizing that there's different levels of access to that opportunity based on the structure of the society we exist within. I, I, I think what, what I struggle with is good models for this. So what I might ask mm-hmm. you is, so you, you mentioned your grandparents and seeing that kind mm-hmm. of fullness of life and, you know, maintaining friendships over uh, a long period such that they yeah. that you were such that you were being able to observe them being fully active in these relationships are there other examples in your life where you where you've seen this this kind of fullness of enjoying moving into that that elder status yeah so i think about um I was just talking with a friend about this today. There's, I think about the the folk I know just out in the community, and one 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 cat in particular who I would see often at the coffee shop. And I I remember when I was in the thick of a lot of writing and this work that needed to get done, I would go to this local coffee shop in town, and I would see a. Uh, this guy, everybody called him Coach Keith. And uh, I got to know him over the years of my visiting this local spot. 
and he was and you know last last time I saw him was probably last year sometime uh but you know he was you know robust vitality you know he's you know hair is gray beard is gray he clearly looks like an an elder you know I want to say he was maybe uh was late 60s early 70s not not don't know exactly but you know, just a guy who was really connected in the community, knew a lot of people, uh, was always smiling, had uh, a, a robust energy about him. He he stayed on the move. He stayed active, still played basketball, uh, rode a lot on his bike. I would be out at local local things in the community. I, as a matter of fact, I think I had gone last year to like this Juneteenth celebration and I saw him and he was out there with his... Uh, with his with his helmet and his bike, you know, and his riding gear, like, and we we just stopped and chop it up, and I thought, man, you know, he's excited about life. He still got strength and energy. He's out here doing things, living, uh, being a mentor, being uh, a confidant, being a coach, and he's one of the people who who for me just comes to mind as someone who is doing the best he can to add life to his days and also embracing this role of an elder which I really truly believe is not just a matter of getting older but it's a matter of proving yourself worthy of relational trust such that people value what you have to say and how you move and they see something in your life in your model in your attitude that's worth repeating worth emulating worth modeling after so that's somebody you know who just came came to mind for me and as i think about it i've i've been fortunate to know many great examples of that for sure I, as as <laughs> You're, you're talking about stepping into your uncle error. Yes. And I too am, am, am fully and intentionally stepping into that. Um, and in thinking about that, man, like the way that I, I have made sense of what it means to, to, to shift from survival to living with intention mm-hmm. it's just finding stuff to look forward to man like there was a there was a good little period there where i i was struggling to answer the question of what i would look forward to mm-hmm. um and i think that that's a a key to feeling like your your life matters Mm-hmm. I, not not necessarily in the context to where you fit in with other people, but I, I, for me, feeling like my life matters and that it matters to me. That I'm not just a cog in somebody else's plan, but that I'm doing the things that that I want to do. So I think I would say what's most in, what's become most important for me is being clear about what what I'm moving toward. So I want to I want to learn more. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get more into to to learning about myself and and learning that through what I read, through what I write, through the conversations that I have. I think getting sharper is uh something I'm excited about doing. And and just adding more experience, adding more tools, exploring more opportunities for growth. All of these things are important for me as I step into this more this more elder role. And I, I think the cool thing is that my job gives me an opportunity to work with young folks quite a bit. And so I get to to practice sharing wisdom and being vulnerable. Um, but I'm also excited by the power that I have to create the type of life that I want, even in 
evaluating um, the lack of balance that I have for certainly throughout my 20s and for a good part of my 30s as well, just thinking about how much I oriented my life toward um, taking care of other folks, other things, taking care of things that were external to me, I think is the best way to put that. And then putting more emphasis on what it means for me to, to turn that focus inward and how that then <laughs> helps me to age better. Because truly, if you're going to talk about, you know, your, your, your skincare regimen. Yeah. And, the, and even making sure that you get a full night's sleep on a regular basis. That doesn't happen by accident. You actually got to stop yourself before you go to bed and or in the morning and do the extra work of washing your face in this particular way or setting up a bedtime for yourself as a whole adult so that you actually go to sleep practicing good sleep hygiene so you're not staring at the phone the entire time uh, right before you go to bed, right? I mean, find the time of your day to work out and to move your body for many of us doesn't happen just by happenstance. And it's not something that the normal progression of our life just leads to you working at a desk, like you and I do, you, you actually got to make some effort to put in the time to take care of yourself in that way. And I think with the concept of what it looks like to take care of ourselves so that we can age well, and so that we can stop carrying so much fear and concern about what it means for us to be moving into uh, a new time in our lives, our uncle era. Um, yeah, it requires those those significant changes, those uh, that intentionality, that willingness to change. Indeed, we don't get better by accident. we can stumble into lessons but it takes intention it takes diligence to stick with them to enable them to become habits to enable them to become consistent fixtures in our lives and aging growing older for me has been about understanding what it means to do that gracefully and to do that wisely to recognize that you don't have a choice about what you're presented with, but you've got to take hold of your own agency to make some sense of what to do with your life, what what it looks like to, to establish a relationship between your everyday ordinary choices and this sort of bigger tapestry of life that we want to create. I think about death. I always have since I was a child. And I particularly think about the fact that I'm growing closer to my father's age when he died. And I'm recognizing that that's not a thing to be feared but rather when we have a healthy embrace of what's to come. As as I've heard it said before, nobody gets out of here alive. Yeah. But that doesn't have to fill me with dread. Rather, it can fill me with a sense of sharpened focus. Yeah. Say, you know, every day is a new sort of, slate on which to create something beautiful and if you do enough of those in a row you start creating a much bigger picture and that really is the way that I want to think about the way that I want to approach life uh, with an understanding that uh man my my purpose is to make the best I can of it and to release the idea that best for me has to look like what someone else has rejected 
what someone else has imagined. You know, your best doesn't have to look like, oh, you know, you made it to your 40s and 50s and 60s and have washboard abs or you have, you know, face like a 20 something <laughs> or, you know, you've got this, that and the other going for you. And increasingly, if, you know, if there's a gift that aging has given me, it's the gift of being able to name what does and doesn't matter for me. It's the gift of being able to release more over time, the desire for comparison, the desire for affixing my progress, my purpose to timelines that are arbitrary. You know, who says that life has to be on the downswing at 40? That's a different thing from saying, you know, 40 is the new 30. Like, nah, it is not. <laughs> it's not. It's not how numbers work. But what it is for me is an opportunity to define for myself what do landmarks and milestones mean? Uh, and, and what will I make of these transitions for myself? Because, uh, you know, my plan is, man, live it up while you can and embrace <laughs> the fact that, uh, you know, these, these bodies carry us through the whole of life. So I don't need to be mad that it's got some miles on it. Um, and I, I've, you, I believe you've heard me joke with uh, some of our friends who are married with kids, like, hey, you know, that that kind of life, you know, that puts those city miles on you. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I got, I got the highway miles. I've been cruising with no, <laughs> no major commitments. But I'm like, man, I'd probably have a few more gray hairs if I had kids asking mm -hmm. questions all the time, or had a spouse who's like, so when you gonna do X, Y, Z? <laughs> like, talk about it. <laughs> hey, different. so. We also have good evidence of things that get better with age. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know why both of the examples that I have, I mean, humans, yes. Uh -huh. um, but the other examples, the first examples that came to, to mind for me uh, were both liquor. So um, there's that. But th this, this is a truth. Also, you know, you and I were fast friends. But mm -hmm. clearly, we're developing all kinds of chemistry because I was definitely about to ask you if you were afraid to die. And then you just jumped into it without me even saying anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'll just, you know, answer the question for myself. Um, I, I, too, think about mortality quite a bit. I and it is it is also something that I've thought about since I was pretty young. I used to have a very significant fear of death. I used to have these kind of these moments that would stick out and it's almost like all of my senses would go on overdrive with this momentary realization that, oh, I'm going to die. This is going to happen at some point. This thing will happen to me. And like all the fear feelings and yeah, just a hundred percent for maybe five, 10 seconds and then it would pass. But that doesn't really happen to me anymore. And that's not to say that I don't have some fear of it. There's certainly mm -hmm. a part of me that's like, yo, that's, that's pretty wild that at some point I'm not going to be here. But I also know that everyone, it's not just me. It's something that's going to happen to all of us. Um, and I've also learned to not obsess over those things that I can't control. Particularly if I'm not focusing on the, the business of those things that I can't. And what I can control is living the life that I have well. 
you know, I, I we we've talked about just some of our work on focusing on our health and taking good care of ourselves. I'm not trying to check out of here on no BS. I could tell you that. Uh, like if I'm if I'm talking about things I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of shortening time that I didn't need to shorten because I did something stupid because I was too stubborn to to shift when I needed to. Mm-hmm. That's a concern. Um, and so that drives a certain way that I think about my behaviors and the ways that I organize my life. But more than anything, I just want to be able to live a full life. And a living mm-hmm. a full life and living a long life are two different things. Now, I want that thing to be long, too. Let, let's be clear. I'm trying yeah. to be for a good time and a long time. Both of them. <laughs> Both and. Both of them. But, you know, the the important part for me is also just, like, making sure that that is full. And that is something that's lovely. That is something I can pre- appreciate because as far as I know, I'm only getting one of these things. So I want to be able to, to have loved it and to have done it well. Yeah, bro. That's that's really that's really it. My um my grandfather used to have a lot of really pithy sayings around uh death and dying. He he would say two things. One, uh, if we knew how little time we had left, it would scare us to death. <laughs> and I brought those fear emotions back. I was like, oh, right. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. hey, now, nah. chill out, my man, <laughs> chill out, fam. Um, and uh, he would, you know, another thing he would say, you know, uh, you can get busy living or you can get busy dying. And that is the one that really sticks with me because. I recognize that it can be very easy to get busy being busy as opposed to living and not recognizing that we are simply uh, finding ways to occupy our time between here and the end. I think, I truly believe so much of people's striving, so much of people's wrestling, so much of people's desire to, to compete, to excel, to outdo, is grounded in anxiety about not being here at some point mm-hmm. and anxiety about the fact that when you're not here, people aren't going to think about or talk about you as often as you might imagine. And I, I, I know it because I think about people I've loved dearly who've transitioned from this world. And sure enough, if you get busy living, you realize that you're not always dwelling on or thinking about even those people you loved well. Yeah. And so it it brings a humbling perspective to me to be able to say, hey, fam, you know, one, everybody ain't thinking about you as much as you imagine they are. But two, since they're not thinking about you like that, how about you think about what you want to do and get busy doing that? Because, man, a hundred years from now, who's going to care if somebody was mad because I can't believe they didn't invite me to this or I can't believe he said that on social media. I can't believe, but man, no, who's going to care? Who's going to remember? Who's going to know? So get busy living. Do do things on, on your, your terms, as, as Frank Sinatra used to say, you know, I did it my way. And I want to be able to say when my life is is said and done that, bruh, I did it my way. You might have chosen differently if you were my shoes, but man, I was the one in them. And at the end of the journey, when I'm turning those shoes in and saying, all right, time to put my feet up, call it a wrap. I, I just want to be able to look back and say, I gave it what I had. I took some beautiful risks. I met some beautiful people. And I've seen and done what I wanted to do.
no notes. I, I, I certainly am in full agreement there. Yeah, I mean this this I'm 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 just gonna I'm just gonna name it. This feels like a, a weird way to end the episode. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 one of those things that we don't we don't have these kinds of conversations every day. So it's just right. like kind of a little bit of unsettling, but I, I think that's good. I think that's good. I think sitting with that part of yeah, this is this is a thing that's coming. And it don't have to be coming fast. So you don't have to, you know, leave this with anxiety. But I think mm-hmm. if we think about like how valuable our lives are, how much at least we are a lot of us claim to love living. Mm-hmm. I want to live like I really love it. I want to love me like I really love it. And I think that's yeah. worth pursuing. It's worth getting after. No half measures, no half steps. Yes, love sir. Deep and love hard. That concludes another episode of Black Men Unlearning. Thank you, as always, for listening. Follow the show. Rate the show. Review the show. Positive reviews. If you're not really feeling it, it's okay. You don't have to write nothing about that. You can just keep it to yourself. But <laughs> we love you anyway for giving us the time and the attention uh, and being with us on this journey. Um, we'll catch you on the next one. All right, y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.